The Infernal Bodyguard Written by Santalatron Read by Literarian Chapter 15 One Step Forward, Two Steps Back The thunder rattled the pub windows again and then kept rattling the door. Crowley frowned at it blearily. Thunder didn't tend to be quite so localized, no matter how much you'd had to drink. Over the sound of the rain hammering on the windows, a dog could be heard barking. Or, more specifically, dog barking. But it couldn't be. Nobody got out, they said. It couldn't be dog. This was just his desperate mind playing tricks on him and, unable to cope with the grief, it was making things up. Crowley tried to squash down the bubble of hope rising in his chest, turning back to the bar and sinking his head down, screwing his face up in an attempt to drown it out. But the barking didn't stop, even when the door rattled its way open and Paxton came back. He put his hands over his ears to try and block the cruel phantom. He dimly heard Paxton start to say that they were closing, and anyway he didn't allow dogs in the bar. Then he stopped abruptly, and it went very quiet. Crowley, came a voice, timid and hoarse, shivering with cold, but unmistakably the one that haunted Crowley's dreams, and now, in a twisted blow, had come to haunt him in this living nightmare. He tightened his hands over his ears to try and block it out. No. But then there was a dog and it was jumping at his feet. He looked down, blinking furiously to try and clear the tears before giving up and swiping a dirty sleeve across his eyes. No, not just a dog. Dog. Filthy, soaking wet and shivering, but unmistakably dog. He looked up as a figure moved next to him, an apparition in a dirty beige jacket, a drowned shadow of a man with mottled skin and blue lips under the streaks of soil and rain. A cruel hallucination with a terrified expression on its pale face, grey eyes wide and missing their glint when they should be blue and twinkling. Crowley squinted at it as it swam in and out of focus, while his mind tried desperately to work out just what the fuck was going on. Angel, he whispered as the blur resolved itself beyond all doubt. Not yet, dear boy, he said, teeth chattering, trying to smile. And that was it, Crowley realized. If he was going to hallucinate Alistair, he would have been comfortable. Not like this. 
he couldn't stand seeing him like this. He went into autopilot, sobering up with impressive speed as he jumped up and shoved Alistair toward the heat of the hearth. His clothes were soaked and Crowley let out half a laugh as he touched him and he felt real, the solid reassurance that he was truly here, he had survived, miracles do happen. Crowley sat Alistair on a wooden chair by the dying fire, fighting back the instinct to keep him far away from anything that burned. He dropped to his knees in front of him, gently turning Alistair's head back and forth and picking up his hands, examining him all over without ever fully letting go. Crowley didn't quite manage to stifle the anguished sound he made as he discovered Alistair wasn't wearing any shoes, his feet only in soaking wet socks that had once possibly been beige tartan but were now grey with soil and wet chalk. Are you okay though? Are you hurt anywhere? Crowley asked. There were minor scratches on his hands and face and his suit was torn and muddy. Alistair hadn't stopped staring at Crowley since he walked in, taking in the red-rimmed puffiness of his eyes and the salty residue on his face with mild surprise. A few bumps here and there, but I'll survive. Thanks to Doc. Alistair tried again for a smile, but his face hadn't warmed up enough yet. Doc's ears perked up where Paxton was drying him off with a towel a discreet distance away. Alistair, what happened? Where's Eric? Crowley demanded, holding him by the shoulders. Alistair's face crumpled. Crowley hated himself as he watched him bury his face in his hands and weep. Oh, Crowley, he was right behind me, Alistair gasped out. When the fire started, we ran straight for the back door. Dog ran off through a hole in the hedge and I kept going out of the back gate, but it was so dark. When Eric didn't come out, I thought he must have gone out of the front door. I tried to get round to the front of the house to find him, but I got lost in the woods. It was so dark. Alistair tipped forward and buried his face in Crowley's shoulder, and Crowley had no choice but to wrap his arms around him and hold him tightly as his composure slipped and came crashing down in the safety and warmth of the pub. Crowley rested his cheek into the damp curls on Alistair's head, already fighting to spring back out to their usual unruliness, and he tried to remember what you were supposed to do in moments like this. Not be drunk probably wasn't even on the list for being too obvious. I, I couldn't find Eric anywhere, and I thought, it, I thought it wasn't wise to stay near the house. Just in case. I don't know how far I've wandered. And I know I ended up down in the valley at one point. And I tripped in a rabbit hole and fell. And it was dark and cold and wet. And 
Alistair raised his head to look at Crowley, and the raw expression on his face was heartbreaking. He... he saved me. Crowley just held him tighter, rubbing one hand up and down his back in what he hoped was a soothing motion. Alistair was safe, but they still didn't know if Eric made it out. Crowley felt the anger rising through the fog of alcohol and bewildered relief. Someone was going to pay for this. He realized that this meant Sandalfon was just a regular homophobic asshole. It would be pretty damn impossible to pull this off from inside a police cell 40 miles away. Something else was going on, and he would get to the bottom of it. And he would not be merciful. Dog, you clever boy, he heard Paxton say, followed by the sounds of a biscuit being crunched. He really is a wonder, Alistair said, and Crowley tried to work out how a voice could sound soft-focused. He just barked at me and jumped around until I followed him. Mostly followed the noise he was making, actually, but back up to the top of the hill. I thought he would stop once we got to a house, but no, he kept barking at me and nipping at my heels to urge me on until we ended up here. He found you for me, Alistair said, gazing into Crowley's eyes, and Crowley's poor heart couldn't take that look. Not while it was still piecing itself back together. What, uh, sounds more like he found you for me, Crowley said quietly, and then turned to Dog, who was already wagging his tail. And he is going to get steak for dinner from now on, because he is a good boy. Paxton let out an exasperated groan as Dog went mad with excitement, throwing himself out of the towel he was supposed to be drying off with as he danced around in delight at the praise. Alistair took a deep breath, inhaling that scent he'd come to think of as so comforting, and pulled away. Crowley didn't want to let go, but that little voice reminded him that Alistair wasn't his to keep. He shoved his hands into his pockets to make sure they behaved as he sat back on his heels. Thank you, Crowley, and... Sorry about your jacket, Alistair said quietly. Psh, Crowley shrugged, looking down at the floor. He should probably stop kneeling at Alistair's feet, but he didn't seem to be moving. Any moment now. As the silence started getting awkward, Paxton stood up, bundling up the dirty towel. Right. Well, you're both staying here tonight. 
I'll lend you something to sleep in, and we'll sort everything else out in the morning. He picked a wriggly dog up under one arm, put a guard in front of the dwindling fire, locked the front door, and opened the one behind the bar that led to a narrow staircase. Come on up here. Hot showers and bed for you both. Alistair looked at Crowley hesitantly. Ah, uh, it's all right. I know Paxton, Crowley told him. He used to help me with my homework. And he followed Paxton towards the stairs. I recall doing most of it by myself. Paxton scolded from halfway up the narrow staircase. And you say I'm an angel, Alistair muttered as he followed him. After showing them the spare room, Paxton went to get some fresh towels, pyjamas and a blanket for Dog to sleep on. Alistair switched on the lamp on the bedside table and looked around. It was a small room, fairly typical of the age of the building, with a section of the ceiling sloping down along the outside wall. It looked comfortable, the carpets up here more sedate in a rich, deep maroon. Opposite the door was a small, low window with some chintzy floral curtains, and down one side of the room was a row of built-in wardrobes, the doors painted white to match the rough white walls. The room wasn't too cold thanks to the radiator on the wall. The problem was... There was only one bed. A simple pine frame that took up most of the small room, so sleeping on the floor wasn't really an option. Right now, Alistair could think of nothing he wanted more than to curl up with the yawning, bedraggled, devilishly handsome streak of a man slouching heavily against the doorframe, but he didn't want to push this on him for what was apparently the second night in a row. Goodness, was it really only this morning he'd woken up surrounded by Crowley's scent? Paxton returned with two green and blue striped towels, a brown fleece blanket and some large t-shirts and pajama trousers. Here you go, gents. Bathroom is down the hall. There's an era in the hall for you to hang your wet clothes on, and there should be just enough hot water in the tank for you both. He handed them the pajamas. These might be a bit big for you, Anthony, but surprisingly enough, I don't keep clothing on hand in your size, although I'm sure if I root around a bit, I can probably find one of those old hoodies you used to leave all over the place. He folded up the blanket and put it on the floor at the end of the bed. And that's for you, dog, you little scallywag. Now, make yourselves at home, chaps. I'm at the end of the hall if you need anything, but I warn you, I'm a heavy sleeper and running apart means I'm a late riser. Try and get some rest, you two, eh? With a final ruffle of dog's ears, Paxton left them to it. Crowley turned to Alistair, handing him a towel. You first. Get yourself properly warmed up. Crowley waited in the room while Alistair showered. He sat on the floor in the corner with his head in his hands. 
It had been a train wreck of a day that had started with a stonking hangover, which had turned out to be the highlight. Now Crowley was still somewhat drunk again, and so very tired. So very tired of this life of constantly moving, constantly looking for the threat, constantly thinking the worst of everyone. He was feeling ragged from the level of emotion he'd had to process tonight, and he knew he needed to make a change before he ran himself into the ground. He was getting too old for this shit. He heard a quiet knock on the bedroom door, and it opened slowly. Crowley dragged his hands over his face and looked up to see Alistair enter. He was flushed from the heat of the shower, his hair tousled from being towel-dried, and he was wearing the pajamas Paxton had given him. A red t-shirt that skimmed just right over his broad chest and matching tartan-patterned trousers, his toes sticking out the ends where the material pooled around his feet. He looked so soft and beautiful, it made Crowley's heart ache just to look at him as he stood there fiddling with the hem of the t-shirt, his eyes tired and shoulders drooping. Alistair had no right looking so blessedly perfect after everything that had happened in the last few hours. Angel. Crowley whispered, before realizing he'd been staring, and thanks to his sunglasses being back in the mini, it was glaringly obvious too, but he couldn't look away. Alistair yawned, and Crowley had never wanted so much to just coil himself around someone and never let go. Before he did something stupid, he stood up, grabbed the remaining towel and pyjamas and hurried out the door, muttering, Back in a sec. He got a few minutes of hot water before it ran out, but he couldn't really blame Alistair, and frankly, the cold was quite cathartic, not to mention sobering. He found the era in the hallway and, after a moment's thought, took it back downstairs to sit in front of the glowing remains of the fire. He spent a few minutes sorting out all the clothes so Alistair's were closest to the dwindling heat, arranging them all with care and smoothing them down gently, brushing off the dried mud where it had started to flake. It gave his hands something to do while his mind tried to make some sense of the last few hours. Alistair's clothes hanging there so empty gave him a strange feeling that he tried to ignore. When he got back to the room, swamped in the navy blue t-shirt and holding up the matching striped trousers with one hand, his ankles poking out the bottom and black painted toenails chipped and worn, Alistair was set at the end of the bed, looking lost. I... I can go find the sofa, leave you to the bed. Doc will stay with you. Normally, Crowley would have just done it, not even asked, but here he was, making no move to leave, desperately hoping Alistair would say no. 
mentally pleading, in fact, with anyone that could hear that he wouldn't be sent away. Not tonight. Not after having only just got him back. Please don't, Alistair said quietly, looking at him with a terrified expression. Crowley nodded, trying to hide his relief, then walked around the bed and slipped under the flowery covers before he thought too much about it. He positioned himself as close to the edge of the bed as he could get without risking falling off and closed his eyes, gripping his pillow. He desperately wanted to hold on to Alistair with both hands and never let him out of his sight again, but he knew better than to throw all his insecurities on him right now. Alistair was dithering. Get in, angel, Crowley said, his voice soft and low. You'll get cold again. Alistair took a deep breath and climbed in on the other side. Dog had settled on the blanket and was already snoring softly. The mattress dipped and the covers shifted around as Alistair got comfortable, then the light by the bed was turned off, plunging them both into darkness. After a couple of minutes, Crowley felt a timid hand on his shoulder. Crowley, I... Alistair murmured quietly, and the hand darted away. Crowley rolled over to face him and realized Alistair was very close. So close that he could feel the warmth radiating off him. The storm had blown over, leaving a clear sky, and the light from the moon was creeping in under the curtain, casting just enough of a glow that Crowley could see Alistair's fluffy, pale hair and wide eyes right in front of him, shining in the gloom. Lighting the way home, Crowley thought, before berating himself for something so soppy. Must be the whiskey. What do you need? Crowley mumbled, his voice filled with the drowsiness of approaching sleep. I, well, may I hold your hand? Alistair asked sheepishly. So I know you're there? I'll feel better knowing I'm not alone. Knowing you're there, he bit back just in time. Crowley managed to melt and panic all at the same time, but he slid a hand out under the covers towards Alistair, finding his in their customary nervous tangle in front of his chest and slipping into his grasp. Alistair pulled Crowley's hand closer, enveloping it completely with his own and holding on tightly. Thank you he whispered, and Crowley felt some of the tension melt away. And then he looked up at Alistair's face again, and he was so close. So close their noses were practically touching, and when did that happen? Crowley tried so hard to restrain himself, he tried to remember that this was a line he couldn't cross. And definitely not twice.
But he knew the feel of those lips. He knew exactly how Alistair would tilt his head. He could smell the clean, sweet scent of this angel over the slightly stale smell of the sheets, and just a hand was not enough. Right now, he wanted nothing more than to be as close to him as physically possible and never let him go, consequences be damned. He gripped the covers tightly in his other hand, his whole body crying out for contact that he wanted so desperately it hurt. He wanted to wrap himself around Alistair and feel the solid presence of this ethereal man folding himself into it until all the pain went away. But Alistair was not his to have or to hold. He had already fucked up once, he wouldn't do it a and suddenly there were soft lips pressed firmly against his as Alistair closed the last centimetre or two with swift and sudden determination, and Crowley's hand was no longer full of floral duvet cover, but still damp hair that curled at the nape of a solid neck, and he certainly hadn't given it permission to do that. He was drowning in the feeling of Alistair's mouth on his, adrift on the wave of whatever it was that Alistair kept stirring in him, and still it wasn't enough. He needed more, he needed to feel whole again, he needed... Alistair rolled him onto his back and shifted over him to press him down into the mattress without breaking the kiss, a strong hand sliding around his waist to hold him so tenderly. That. He needed that. Alistair pulled their bodies together, and he was oh so warm through the thin cotton of their t-shirts, the weight of his body providing a bone-deep grounding force that Crowley was desperate for. Crowley knew he shouldn't, he knew it would only make things messier, but Alistair seemed to need this as much as he did, and surely these were extenuating circumstances. As the pyjamas ended up back on the floor and they both clung to each other, it felt like, here, in this surreal, secluded bubble with just the two of them, the normal rules just didn't seem to apply. Guidelines. This time there was no banter, no bravado, just two hearts sharing one rhythm as their bodies blended into one another in the quiet moonlight, beating out a harmony that sang, Never Let Me Go. Sleep came eventually, curling up around each other, and although both were disturbed by nightmares of fire, of running, screaming, into a room of flames, of stumbling through wet trees in endless dark, calling out with no answer, a slight squeeze of the hands that had returned to clasp together between them was enough to reassure them that, yes, it was over. They were still here. They were okay.
Alistair woke up with a start, confusion mounting as he waited for his brain to sort dream from reality. It didn't help that waking up naked next to Crowley had been a recurring feature in his dreams for a while now. The sun was up, peeking through a gap in the curtains and leaving a thin wedge of light on the opposite wall. They'd stayed close in the night, and he was now curled up against Crowley's chest, head tucked under his chin. Their hands still clasped together, in between the press of their bodies, Crowley's other arm was draped over him, which just begged the question of what was shoved so firmly into his back. A snuffling sound suggested it was Dog, who had apparently jumped up onto the bed in the night, the little scamp. With Alastair's stocky legs tangled with Crowley's lean ones, he was completely stuck and overwhelmingly fine with it as he soaked up the feeling of Crowley's bare skin pressed against his own, his shoulder rising and falling in the corner of his vision with every breath. He was alive. He was warm, he was dry, and as long as he was with Crowley, he was safe. He had a brief spike of fear when he thought of Eric, but he figured he knew the terrain far better than Alistair did and was probably holed up in the National Trust Centre at the top of the valley. He had a key, so it made a logical place for him to go. Alistair snuggled a little closer and tried to pretend he hadn't woken up. For the first time he could remember, he didn't want the day to start just yet. Unbeknownst to him, Crowley was having much the same thought above him. He had woken up a little earlier and couldn't bring himself to let go just yet. He still felt too raw from believing he'd lost Alistair, too dazed from the shock of returning to what he'd quickly learned was his worst nightmare to think past the need to hold on to him for as long as possible. He was rapidly coming to the realization that perhaps this mess of feelings might run a bit deeper than he'd thought. The way he felt when he held Alistair like this was unlike anything he'd ever felt before. It was all-encompassing, a feeling of completeness like there was a gap he hadn't even known he'd had until Alistair fitted so perfectly into it, pulling the rest of him into a shape it felt like he was meant to be. When he was with Alistair, he liked himself a bit more. He liked the person he became, even though he was mostly just being himself, a bit more than normal. The sun shone a bit brighter when Alistair was around, everyone seemed a bit nicer, and life just had a bit more meaning to it. Everywhere he went, he saw things that reminded him of his fussy charge. He was always in the back of Crowley's mind, like a guardian angel. All that stereotypical shit that people said on the TV when they talked about love. Crowley forgot to breathe for an unknown number of moments. Oh, bloody hell. When they talked about love.
the realization hit him like the proverbial fright train, and he tried to breathe slowly through his nose. The room spun slightly, but that could well just be the hangover starting. In love. He bloody was, wasn't he? Holy fuck, that's what all this was. All those times his chest had been doing strange things, the way he'd forget basic training when Alistair was in danger. Christ, even all that soft focus nonsense. He was in love. Shit, even all those times they'd asked him if he'd ever been in love, and he said no, and now, for the first time in his life, he was. He had fallen head over heels in love and with Alistair. Good God, had they all seen it before him? He hadn't meant to get involved, and he'd certainly never meant to fall in love. Jesus fucking chrysanthemums, could this get any messier? Dogs stirred, puncturing their quiet little bubble by embarking on a crusade of licking and trampling with the aim of rousing one or both of them to let him out for a wee. Crowley recognized the signs. So you can tell when dog needs a wee, but you can't spot yourself falling in love, you idiot. And gently untangled himself from Alistair. He pulled back on the first pair of pyjama trousers he could reach, Alistair Starton once, which clashed terribly with his hair, as Dog jumped off the bed and went to sit by the door, whining. They went downstairs, and Crowley let him out the back door into the little garden area that overlooked the valley. After a few moments of pacing in the cold bar, wondering how the fuck he'd missed the fact that he was in love for so long, how long even was it, he heard dogs grabble at the door to be let back in. Crowley followed him as he ran straight back up the stairs and found him back on the bed, curled up next to Alistair in the space where Crowley had been. Dog turned his best puppy dog eyes on him as he stood in the doorway, leaning on the frame, arms crossed over his bare chest. Oh, I see. Is that how this works, then? He said to Dog quietly. You get me up so you can steal my spot, you little devious bastard. Your spot? Crowley, are you getting jealous of a dog? Alistair asked sleepily, lifting his head to give him a look that seemed to know far too much, and Crowley couldn't help but utterly adore the way his curls were sticking up all over the place. How the fuck did I not see it? What? No, I just... Scold. Didn't know you were awake. Crowley shrugged, panicking slightly and overanalyzing everything in the light of his revelation. Does he know? Alistair nudged Dog over to the edge of the bed and shuffled into the middle to make a space on the other side, motioning for Crowley to get in. 
He did, but only because he was cold and not for any other totally unprofessional reason. They lay on their backs, side by side, Alistair's arm around Dog, where he was pressed up against his ribs, wiry black and white head resting on Alistair's chest. He stroked Dog's head absent-mindedly. Alistair, listen, I... Crowley started, hating what he was about to say. Alistair sighed. Morning, I know he said, the resignation evident in his voice. Last night had been his fault. In his moment of weakness, while they were hidden away from the real world together, he had taken advantage of Crowley, but in the cold light of day he knew he couldn't ask him to do anything that put his life in danger. Even if it chipped away at his heart every time. He'd been so hopeful when they thought it was all over, but now they were back to square one and it was all Alistair could do to not tear his hair out in frustration. How long are we going to do this, Crowley? he asked. Crowley had to turn his face away. Until you're no longer in danger, Crowley replied, keeping his voice as level as possible. And then what? Alistair demanded. I don't know, Crowley responded. He had no idea how this would end and whether he would have to do something that Alistair would never be able to forgive him in the process. His methods may be effective, but they weren't exactly nice, and thus far Alistair had been spared from seeing the dirtier side of his job. Alistair may not like what he finds there when push comes to shove, and Crowley has to make a snap decision. After a long pause, Alistair sighed again. <sighs> we should call Pepper. Shit, yeah, we should. Crowley agreed. She'll be angry. She will. She'll make us go home. Probably, Crowley said, and Alistair wasn't sure if he actually heard the touch of disappointment in Crowley's tone or if he just wanted to hear it. I suppose this means that the man the police have is not the one trying to hurt me then, Alistair pointed out. He's definitely responsible for those letters, but it looks like that's it, yeah. Crowley? Alistair turned his head to face him and waited for Crowley to look at him before he spoke again. You will stay, won't you? Until we catch the right person? Until this is all over? I'll stay for as long as you want me, angel. Crowley said gently, mentally wincing at the brutal honesty of what his statement laid bare. Suddenly, Dog's head jerked upwards, ears pointing forwards, senses trained on the door. Alistair jumped at the sudden movement and flung a hand out at Crowley and, in his panic, his hand landed on Crowley's hip. 
Crowley froze, stifling his own alarm at the sudden contact. Had Alistair's touch always felt like this? Dog jumped down from the bed, and Alistair's hand tightened, his fingers digging into the flesh around Crowley's hip bone as they heard heavy footsteps thud past in the corridor outside. <sighs> Crowley grunted. Alistair turned his wide-eyed face towards him. It's just Paxton getting up, Angel. You're fine. Crowley forced out through gritted teeth. Oh, oh, how silly of me, of course. Oh, I'm sorry, my dear, I didn't mean to hurt you. Alistair released his grip, his hand lingering indecisively for a moment before he drew it back. Crowley swung his legs over the edge of the mattress and let the momentum carry his torso up. Alistair sat up in the bed and looked at Dog, who whined at him and shuffled closer to the door, obviously hinting at something. Yes, yes, all right. I suppose it probably is time to get up. Come on, you, Alistair said to him as he got out of the bed, pulled on the navy pajamas and took him downstairs in search of breakfast. Crowley took a few deep breaths. This was getting way out of hand. He should never have fallen in love. He resolved to find out what the firefighters had to say, then they would head back to London. Being down here now had no benefits, seeing as it was compromised, and he would have to get to the bottom of that, and at least in London he could attempt to keep some distance between them. Crowley meandered down to the bar area downstairs, the fire relit and the garden front to protect the clothes, and discovered that Paxton had indeed managed to find one of his old black-on-black -black Gap hoodies. He pulled it on over the baggy t-shirt, resolving not to ask why Paxton still had it in case he got an answer when there was a frantic banging on the door. Paxton was busy in the kitchen, cooking eggs, judging by the noises, so Crowley answered the door. Ah, Pepper, listen. Crowley had been expecting anger, an explosive telling off. He hadn't been expecting the raw fear on her face. He certainly hadn't expected her to bury her face in his chest and burst into tears as she flung her arms around him. I heard about it on the radio and I drove over and the house is swarming with firefighters and people in white suits and I couldn't find you and they said you were here and, and Crowley, they're looking for bodies. She wailed into his chest. Crowley carefully put an arm around her and manoeuvred them into the warmth of the pub so he could shut the door. I'm sorry we didn't call. I was just about to, though, to be fair, he said quietly to the top of her head, hugging her back. We? Oui. She looked up at him with such fierce hope that it nearly broke his heart again. Come on, he said, pulling away gently and leading her to the tables around the corner by the kitchen. 
Pepper hastily wiped her eyes on her coat sleeve and followed after him, still gasping back sobs. As they rounded the corner, she saw Alistair sat at the table, cup of tea in hand, chatting to Dog, who was looking up at him adoringly again, in case it got him another treat. Pepper choked out a sound that might have been a cry, but could equally have been a relieved laugh. Either way, it made Alistair turn in her direction, his expression turning decidedly sheepish. Dog bounded over, jumping up to greet her, tail wagging. Alistair put his teacup down gently and stood up as she approached, stealing himself for the outraged onslaught he knew was coming. What the hell do you think you're playing at scaring me like that? She shouted, trembling as she stood before him, gesticulating wildly. Paxton poked his head out of the kitchen at the noise, ducking back out of sight again, following a discreet shake of Crowley's head. You persist in keeping us all in the dark. This is the second time you haven't called me when something has happened. The bloody house burned down, Alistair. I thought you were dead. Do you understand? Dead! You are going to need to do something monumental to make up for this, do you? What are you even wearing? She finished, scowling at them both, panting from the exertion of her emotions. Dog was gazing back and forth between them on the basis that someone would give him a treat eventually. Alistair merely spread his arms wide and gave her a look. She resisted for a moment, but sank herself into his embrace and held on tight as a fresh round of sobs burst forth. I hate you, she said as he planted a kiss on the top of her head. I love you too, my dear. I'm sorry we didn't call. I wasn't allowed to bring my phone, remember? And the landline was not an option, as I was in rather a hurry when I left the house, as you can imagine. It's only thanks to Doc that I ended up finding my way here at all, rather than staying lost on the downs all night. Where's Eric? she asked suddenly, the sound of panic rising in her voice. Is he here too? Where is he? Crowley was leaning against one of the dark wooden timbers that formed the edge of the doorframe, hands tucked in the hoodie's pocket, resolutely not acknowledging the way his heart clenched as Alistair told Pepper he loved her. Too messy. We don't know, he said, frowning. He knows his way around this area better than anyone, but I am somewhat concerned we've not heard anything from him yet. The kitchen door opened and Paxton brought out a spectacular amount of food. After introductions, Pepper took off her coat and they all sat down and tucked in. Once they judged the clothes to be dry enough, Alistair and Crowley got dressed again and piled into the back of the Bentley so Pepper could drive them back over to the house, leaving Dog with Paxton. It wasn't ideal with Alistair lacking proper footwear, Paxton's feet were too big to borrow anything, 
but Crowley wasn't about to leave him behind again. As the remains of the burnt house came into view, Alistair grabbed Crowley's arm. It was a devastating sight. Blackened from smoke, what hadn't burned was waterlogged from the rain and the hoses. The forensic team were just filing out. Leave it to me, Crowley said gently. The place was swarming with people in uniform, he reasoned. Alistair was about as safe as he could get here. And it was warmer in the car. Alistair nodded. Pepper had wisely parked a little distance away so they couldn't hear anything that might upset him. Crowley got out and walked over to the Mini to retrieve his sunglasses before approaching the group of people that appeared to be running the show, some of his swagger returning with the application of dark glass. He had a short conversation with them, pointing to Alistair in the car at one point, then nodding as they pointed to a pile of what looked like salvaged personal items, his expression undecipherable behind the sunglasses again. Alistair looked at him standing there in yesterday's ruined clothes, looking tired but determined. He knew that, in theory, it was Crowley's job to handle difficult and dangerous situations, but seeing it in practice was proving more difficult to stomach. He'd caused this. He'd brought this destruction to Crowley's home. Crowley didn't deserve this. Eric and Dog didn't deserve this. Alistair realized that they would never be able to outrun this. He would never be able to outrun this. Hiding didn't work, so now he needed to get back out there and face this head-on. Crowley returned to the Bentley and climbed into the back. They found Eric, he said, looking at his hands, his voice strained and small. Oh, where was he? Was he up at the centre? Alistair asked, a forced brightness to his words, trying to ignore the answer he'd already heard in Crowley's voice, seen in his slumped shoulders and thin pressed lips. He was by the front door. He didn't make it out. Crowley turned his face to look out of the window. He didn't mention the other details the police forensic team had given him from what little they could get from Eric's burnt remains. They could tell it had been up close and personal, but they'd have to wait for the post-mortem to find out exactly what the weapon had been. At least he didn't suffer. Oh, Crowley, I'm so sorry. Alistair put his hand over Crowley's, and Crowley turned it over and interlaced their fingers, holding on for dear life. He never stood a chance. They found evidence of arson, so they are treating it as a murder scene, he said, his voice oddly flat. They want to take statements, which I told them we could do back at the pub, and then I suggest we go back to London, if that's all right with you. Get you some clean clothes. 
Back in the warmth of the pub, the police questioned all four of them, then made some phone calls to corroborate their stories. Particularly in Crowley's case, after what they found in where his room had been. They even had a look at Dog. They wanted to know what Alistair had seen and heard before he escaped. If he'd smelled anything unusual, anything at all that might help them with their case. He had been in the kitchen at the time. Eric was bringing plates back from the dining room, and all Alistair remembered was a strangely smoky smell and Eric shouting at him to run, so he did. After several hours, the police were satisfied that got all they could, and they let the three of them go with a crime number and strict instructions that they call if anything else came up. Paxton promised to look after Dog and sort out the stuff salvaged from the house and sent them away with snacks for the journey in a beige tartan tin. See, Crowley, it's stylish. An open invitation to return at any time and a bone-crushing hug for each of them that somehow managed to reach right down to the soul. Crowley blushed as Paxton muttered, He's a good one. Don't balls it up, in his ear as they left. By the time they got back to Soho, it was dark. After changing into clean clothes, Alistair and Crowley sat down with Anathema, Tracy, Michael and Uriel and explained what had happened. Anathema was horrified and Tracy and Uriel were furious. Michael didn't say a word, but looked very pale. So we're back to square one, Uriel exclaimed. Dinner that night was subdued, and talk began to form a plan for the awards ceremony that would be happening in a few weeks' time. Crowley sat on the sofa in his room with a large glass of whiskey and let the events of the last 24 hours catch up with him. He allowed himself one drink and one night to mourn for now. He still had a job to do and that had to come first no matter what else he had going on. He swilled the amber liquid around in the glass, watching the light from the bedside lamp shift and sway on the surface of the drink, watched it glint and shine in the facets of the cut crystal, the reflections dancing across his hand, and he thought of flames. Of the way they flowed and spread as they hungrily ate up his house. Not his home, though, not since... since that night. That night when he was too young and his whole fragile world shattered in screams and crashes and falling. He'd hidden away from the noise, peered out of the window, fascinated by the blue lights, and watched as she was taken away. He didn't know it was her at the time. The bag had been zipped up. It had taken a lot of time for him to be confident on the stairs again, and Sam had tried, but he was just as lost without her, and while Crowley had been disconsolate and scared, 
Sam had been angry. Angry that she had been taken from the world, from him. And he never got past that anger. Crowley hadn't even known where her grave was until long after Sam was gone and he'd found the paperwork by accident. And even then, it was a while before he could get the courage to go and see her, but Raphael had insisted, almost ordering him to take a day off to go. He had been a very persuasive man, and in the end, it had cost him his life. Crowley stopped sharing after that. Eric had been found in that same hallway at the bottom of those stairs where he never should have been. Another life taken too soon. Another beautiful, vibrant flame in this dark world that burned too bright and couldn't last. One soul born to three bodies. Crowley wondered if Eric's long-lost brothers were still out there somewhere and if they felt the loss as part of their shared soul broke free and moved on to whatever afterlife Eric believed in. Crowley realized he probably should have asked, should have taken more of an interest in what Eric wanted to happen next. Eric had undoubtedly given his life for Alistair, and he owed him that much at least. In a silent salute to his fallen half-brother, Crowley raised his glass, then downed the rest of his drink and crawled into bed, hiding deep under the covers. Tomorrow he had a job to do, and all the grief, all the fear would have to be locked away. But tonight... Tonight the box was wide open and he would feel it all. He fell asleep eventually, coiled in on himself, the pillow under his face wet with salty tears for another life lost on his watch. The next morning he pulled himself together, pushing all the grief back down and shutting the lid on it. There was work to do, and it would start with getting out his laptop and looking up the hotel where the awards ceremony was to be held. He grimaced. An old building meant thick walls that blocked signals, narrow doorways, and a layout that might as well have been designed purposefully to hide threats and confound swift exits. He got out a notebook and began to plan, hastily scrolling down ideas and information in a handwriting that looked more like a spider got drunk, fell into some ink and tried to waltz. He spent the day scribbling, only pausing when Tracy appeared with some lunch. The more he worked, the more he planned and occupied his brain, the less he would be able to think. Distance. The following night, Alistair was sat on his bed, staring blankly at his hands. He'd not slept the night before, too scared of the darkness outside and the flames he saw every time he closed his eyes. 
He'd gone nights without sleeping in the past, but usually it was when the deadline was looming and he'd had a streak of inspiration to power him through. Unable to face another long night staring, terrified at his own walls, he sought solace in the one place he felt most at peace. His library. It had been a place of comfort for him when it was all in his bookshop, and now it was within his home, it had become his sanctuary. He strolled through the shelves, wondering what to select to distract himself with. It was close to midnight, and the others were all in bed, or at least in their own rooms, so he had the library to himself. Except he didn't. There was a light on, and he could hear muffled noises that suggested a presence. He walked quietly over to the fireplace and picked up the poker, holding it to his side as he crept round to the source of the noise. It was coming from near his Chesterfield sofa. Stepping smartly round, he brought the poker up, intent on confronting the intruder, but instead he was grabbed roughly from behind and a blade pressed into his neck. In shock, he dropped the poker with a loud clang, eliciting a hiss from behind his left ear. Alistair was terrified. Whoever had burned the house in the South Downs was clearly back to finish the job. In his panic, he could only think of Crowley, hope that, with his pin lost to the fire, he'd heard the clang of the poker and would come racing in to save the day again. Fuck, Alistair, what did I say about sneaking up on me? The blade was swiftly removed and the arm around his torso retreated, the touch lingering as it drifted down his arm with the lightest brush of fingertips over his hand. Alistair let out the breath he'd been holding and readjusted his robe. Crowley walked around him, flicking the slim knife closed again before slipping it into his back pocket and unceremoniously dumping himself onto the sofa, limbs haphazardly abandoned where they fell. He tipped his head back and pushed his sunglasses onto his head so he could rub his hands down over his face with a groan. Oh, Jesus Christ, you walk like a bloody assassin. If it weren't for that damned poker, I'd never have known you were there. Crowley looked up at Alistair, who was still standing by the doorway, his face as pale as his hair. He had one hand on his throat, absent-mindedly rubbing where the blade had touched. Hey, you okay? Crowley asked, fighting the urge to sweep him up into his arms and hold him as close as he could until this all went away. He knew he hadn't drawn blood, but he still wanted to wrench Alistair's hands away, check the pale skin of his neck, banish the memory of the cold steel that sat there by covering the area with his mouth. He knew how it would taste, how it would feel when the pulse that lived there would jump under his tongue. He could remember the sounds that he could drag out of that throat, still feel the vibration of them on his lips. 
Crowley's hands were holding tight to the sofa where they'd dropped in an effort to anchor himself there. Alistair blinked and looked at Crowley. He'd been deep inside his own thoughts as the terror gave way to relief. He wanted to throw himself across the low table and bury himself in Crowley's shoulder, drown in those enchanting eyes until he forgot all the horrors of his life right now. Sorry, I... I couldn't sleep. I came to get a book and... I suppose I wasn't expecting anyone else in here. Alistair said quietly, twining his fingers with each other rather than let them reach out and run through that hair that glowed like a dying star. It felt so right, Crowley being here in his most sacred place. The nighttime had always felt like Alistair's private world in his library, and far from an intruder, Crowley, with his impossibly tight jeans and jacket so sharply tailored it made you rethink the phrase dressed to kill, made it feel complete. Alistair realized he had two ordeals to get through now. He had to survive this primary threat, this madman out to harm him and anyone in the way, and when it was all over and he was safe, he had to survive watching Crowley saunter away and out of his life. Crowley, Alistair began tentatively. Would you? Could you? If it's not too much to ask... Crowley raised one eyebrow at him, and Alistair lost his nerve. Oh, never mind. What is it, Angel? Crowley asked softly. And Alistair crumbled. He looked down at his feet. Stay with me? Crowley sat up. Yes, yes, a thousand times yes, dear God, yes, you mean tonight? Uh, yes. I can't sleep. I was so afraid just thinking about it. Yes, tonight, tomorrow, all the tomorrows. Just stay. It's less scary when you're there. Please, just sit with me while I fall asleep. Please don't leave me alone. Please don't leave at all. Alistair couldn't look up, couldn't face those intense honey-coloured eyes, but he felt them on him, studying him where he stood in his pale blue pyjamas and beige robe, evaluating him with all his flaws and shortcomings, boring into his soul. He braced for the inevitable rejection. Crowley didn't want this, didn't want him. I don't think that's a good idea, Alistair. I'm sorry. You're safe here. You don't need me watching you in the house. Crowley wanted to. Shit, he wanted to go up there and hold Alistair as he drifted off to sleep more than anything right now, but he knew it would only make things worse in the long run. He looked at his feet. He knew he couldn't say no to Alistair's face, and the line had to be drawn somewhere. 
He had to make an attempt to be professional. It should have been me, Alistair said so quietly, Crowley nearly missed it. It was nothing to do with Eric. It should have been me. Oh, no, you don't, Alistair. You can't let yourself think like that. You'll go mad, Crowley said, coming to stand in front of him. You can't change what happened, and Eric's death is not your responsibility. That belongs solely to the twat that lit that fire, do you hear? And the twat that wasn't there when he should have been... Alistair nodded slightly, his hands doing their customary nervous dance over his chest. How do you do it, Crowley? How do you sleep after something like this? How do you not go mad staring at the walls at night? Alistair sounded so broken that Crowley nearly caved in. I usually just focus on my heartbeat and breathing and bore myself to sleep. But you're a storyteller, right? Change the narrative. Focus on the what is, not the what ifs. Can't change what happened, just how you look at it. And what you choose to do next. Crowley shrugged, still not looking at Alistair. Or failing that, watch a film that you've seen a million times. Or I suppose in your case... Read a book. Alistair gave him a weak smile. Anyway, night, Crowley said, standing up and walking out through the nearest door without looking back, in case he lost his nerve. Why did doing the right thing always have to hurt so fucking much? Alistair sighed as he picked up a second edition Winnie the Pooh. He knew Crowley had been right. It wasn't a good idea, he knew that, but it still stung hearing the rejection. That gentle nudge that said Crowley hadn't chosen him. Despite it all, despite everything that had happened in the last week, the way he'd found him in the pub, the night they'd shared together that was about so much more than chasing an orgasm, despite all that, Crowley wouldn't choose him. And no amount of changing the narrative could stop that from hurting.